Okay, so I wanted to go in depth a bit about your past. So the first question is, how has your view on life and the world changed? And I want you to answer it in three stages. So the first stage before you were a monk, the second stage when you were in the monastery, and then the first stage now that you're out of the monastery for over a year. Yeah. So my perspective on life has changed uh, drastically in the, the last 34 years. Uh, 19, so yeah, I would say the first 17 years was the first paradigm. And then the next, definitely the next 12, 13 years. Um, and then uh, this, these last two years have been uh, really wonderful. But so, oh no, you know what? There's an overlap there. 10 years of the monastery paradigm and then four years now. So two years in the monastery and two years out here, I have the same perspective. So in the first stage, the first 18 years of my life, I, I, I didn't know that life was a miracle. So you have to understand that I was looking at life like a normal person. And this is why I, I, I understand now that this is why there are guides and teachers and mentors, because they're, they're trying to express through speech their view of the world, right? Because we only see what the world as we are. And so I am just one of many people who are explaining the, the world as, as, as I am. So I'm explaining myself. And, and I'm back in my, when I was zero to 18, that I did not, I had a very small view of the world. Even, you know, we didn't really have um, social media as much. So granted, if I stayed in the world, my worldview would have expanded as the years went on naturally, as, as, as it does when everyone gets older every year, naturally your, your worldview expands greatly. But what happened is, what changed from year 18 to being a monk was my worldview uh, grew from the inside out instead of from the outside out. So instead of learning about other, instead of just learning about things outside of myself, I grew internally to understand different layers of the world. So first 18 years, very myopic. I couldn't see that far and, and I didn't care. Um, I didn't think that anything was, was that great. You know, I, I thought making money and working hard, you know, which those are important things, but I thought that that was as far as it goes. I thought that life was just pretty much a mystery. Um, other than there being special people who did things, but I didn't even cognize the fact that there were special people doing things. And the, you know, even if there was an Elon Musk when I was 18, I wouldn't have given a damn 
I wouldn't have cared. It wouldn't have mattered. Like when 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 the Twin Towers happened to hit in the 2001, there was a terrorist attack in New York City. I I did not care. I was like, what? Okay. So, like, what does it have to do with me? So there's a there was a, a selfishness there in the first 18 years. It was it was not like it was a selfishness about me. It was a selfishness that I was taking life for granted. It was a selfishness against life, not not against like me being important, but life being unimportant. That was the first 18. And then um, my, my second chance, you know, the divine intervention that I write about where the, the cop gave me a second chance, that flipped a switch. It, it said that all of a sudden, you know, I understood that life could be taken away from you. When you understand that something can be taken away from you, you hold on to it a little bit more dearly. It'll, you keep it closer to yourself. So the transition of life and the change of perspective going into the monastery was, okay, now everything's a miracle. Everything is, everything is perfect and beautiful. And, and there's a struggle here. There's a struggle to know thyself. So the perspective was instead of just waiting, as I did in the stage before, I was now proactively going after life and going after questions and mysteries and trying to discover what there was to be known, what there was to be discovered, and, and the why. The why was a mystery. And, and how, could I, how could I demystify life? That was that, that was that main second stage, the first you know, 10 years. The second, the third stage, second to third perspective is, okay, now that, now that I know a little bit more and I understand more about life and the, the, the miracle that life is and I've experienced it and I get it, now I have to, I guess, proactively tell people. And then I, that's the world change from self-discovery to you know, mastery and expression, going from hero to mentor, going from that which transforms himself to that which transforms the world around it. And, you know, around year 10, maybe nine in the monastery, I started to heavily question whether I could do that in the monastery. And so the perspective change out here is, you know, I'm not. I'm not saying that there's a there's a. I'm finished self-discovering. I'm always kind of trying to refine what I think I know and what what more I can what can know. But you know, now the perspective is, what is what is preventing me from sharing my message to this individual or to this group or. You know, now that I know the purpose of life is to help others, how best to do that? And how quickly can I do that? And in what way is that appropriate? So this third, this last two years or four years, I guess, has really helped me 
in the perspective of seeing, you know, not only do I have that miracle outlook where every moment is special. I mean, literally, like every moment is a, is a gift, but, but what do I do with it now? And, and the person in front of me or the group in front of me that I'm speaking to or, you know, Helena, you know, my, my partner in this life, you know, how do we now act knowing that we know how to act and what, what to do, knowing that we, how to do, knowing that we know what to do. And this is a moment to moment thing. So my perspective in this last stage is a lot slower. It's more detailed and nuanced where in the monastery time went by very quickly. Uh, and in the first years of my life, the first stage went by very quickly. These last two years feel like the last 10 years in the monastery, except in, in two years. Um, because I have much more, um, I have more arms, I have more hands to, to work with and to move the forces of the world. So in the monastery, my perspective was limited because it was just me, so to speak. In 2015, that, that time when I was helping around 500 people, uh, that's when it really started, to, I started to realize that you can slow life down when you start helping other people. Time goes by very fast when it's just about you, you know, university. Those, those years go by fast in the long run because you're just, your, your camera, is, your lens is focused on very specific things um, about yourself. But life moves faster. For example, I think it moves faster when you become a parent because it's the first time in your life that you're helping develop another human being. So, you know, you hear the cliche all the time, right? Like, oh, they grow up so fast. And it's like, well, well, life goes by faster when you're not worried about yourself so much, but when you're worried about other people. And Sorry to interrupt. You just said you can slow life down when you're helping other people, but now you're saying that life goes faster. Yeah, I just caught that that contradiction. I think, why did that contradiction come up? From the way I see it, from how you're explaining it, probably in the monastery, you had a routine, so things went by quite fast, but now that you're out in the real world, so to speak, there's so many new encounters you have and so many different experiences that it feels like you've done a lot more in those two years. Like the how much you've done in the two years maybe feels like, as you were saying, the past 10 years because of how many new things were happening every day or moment to moment. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think, it, I guess it's a, it's a microcosm perspective and a macrocosm. So the microcosm must go by slower when you're, when you're helping other people. The macrocosm must continue to go fast because you're seeing other people grow up and you're helping them you're helping them along the way. Can you people explain the microcosm and macrocosm? I'm not familiar with that. Okay, well, um, so that's a perspective shift. So the microcosm is anything micro, uh, micro universe, um, like a zoomed in perspective. 
So the microcosm, everything has a microcosm and a macrocosm. Uh, everything can zoom in and zoom out. So we have the universe and then we have a galaxy and then we have a planet. So we're, we're going from the macro, the, the large, the, the zoomed out to the, to the micro, the planetary perspective, okay? And then from the planet, you can start that as a macro and go into the oceans, then go to the land, then go to the people, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we can use this uh, telescopic um, paradigm to go in and out of perspective. So it may be it's both, right? So maybe in the grand scheme of things, in the macrocosm, things are going by fast. But when you, when you, in the microcosm, perhaps they slow down when, when it's no longer about yourself. And so perhaps it's actually the same throughout, except there is no macrocosm when you're in the first two stages or when I'm in my first two stages, right? There may be the macrocosm always exists, but I just did, well, didn't perceive of it. I was just in the microcosm. Like I was just staring at myself. And then when you realize that there's, there's more people to save or there's more people to help, then as you maybe extend your gaze or, or see farther into the horizon, you absorb another perspective, another way of seeing things. And so not only do you have the microcosmic details, but you have the macrocosmic, you know, universal galactic changes going on around you which are perceived differently. I don't know. I've never thought about that before. I mean, we all say that our perspective changes as we get older, right? As we go through life stages, but it's hard to pin down how it changes. Perhaps that's how it changes. You gain other perspectives. You gain, you see farther. But you can never see that far. I mean, uh, you know, Socrates said our biggest ignorance in life is the inability to see far enough. But perhaps you get wisdom when you can see a little farther as you than you could the day before. I don't know. Well, okay. So maybe, yeah. Perhaps that was the perhaps that was the three stages. Um, I've never thought about it. Well, so I've been thinking lately um, about, you know, becoming a father. And, you know, I've been thinking about, since I've been out for two years, I've been thinking about life outside versus inside the monastery. And I haven't much thought about who I was before. Um, I kind of died. So that part of me doesn't, doesn't come up a lot. Um, I was basically reborn that night that the cop gave me a second chance. But um, I've been thinking about, you know, holding on to my own inner perspective or my own inner accomplishments in meditation as I plan to expand my family and, and have a child and everything like that. And, um, it's very, it's a very enjoyable process because 
I'm, I believe, I still believe in what I believe in. And, you know, I'm excited to, I'm, I'm excited to go through the same challenge that most people go through in life, except go through the, go through it believing what I believe in. I'm excited for that challenge because I think it's going to go pretty good. I think it's going to go well. I think I can see that much. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have a few ways to go off this. I guess I'll go with when you were saying about Socrates and maybe being able to see just another day into the future. Was beneficial. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I can link that to what are your goals for the future? Uh, my goals for the future are to to end up um, where I was in the middle stage, except being in the final stage so a full circle um i'd like to uh wherever i live i'd like to offer time and space to people and welcome them on a daily basis and share some of the miracles of life that's my major goal the the smaller goals you know, I don't really worry about the smaller goals so much. I, perhaps that's a, a fault, but, and I was just telling this to the, the board members at our last board meeting. The, the reason why we have a team is so that we can have different perspectives. Um, when it's just one person, you usually only get a, one to two perspectives um, and I don't understand um, next steps or details that well I understand the final product and I can see the final product and the, the end goal how to get there is is I, I I leave it up to the I leave it up to the the potential of the universe and I use willpower to just go and I get to where I need to be in between is like a miracle. It's a, it's a mystery. It's part mystery, part, part moving forward. Um, you know, I'll give you an example in about a month. Uh, Zen Mind Academy will be an official government recognized 501c3 nonprofit organization. Right now we're a charity, but we're we're not a tax exempt charity. It's very easy to become a charity. It's very difficult to become a tax exempt charity where you don't have to pay taxes. You have to go through certain loops with the government you know paperwork things like that so luckily we have a board a team of people who can handle different things and, and divide the work up 
So in about a month, we'll be finished and we will be tax exempt with the IRS. And then we'll go after California and, and become tax exempt with California. Now, there was a lot of steps in between the initial conversation with Helena of let's, let's make a nonprofit to next month, we're a nonprofit. So the goal was to have a nonprofit. There's a bunch of details in there that just happened um, with a little bit of insight, foresight, and hard work. And I think you just my my end goal is to is to help have helped people and to continue help people until I'm no longer alive, and to continue realizing that life is a miracle because you have to re-realize it every day. You can't just you can't just um, rest on your laurels, as they say, and depend on your previous accomplishments. It, those accomplishments fade in this earth so fast, they, they don't matter after that long. For example, my book won't matter after that long. The nonprofit won't matter after that long. The, the person that I helped a year ago, that, that goes away, that goes somewhere else. You have to, you know, you have to keep thinking, what's the next thing? And you, you, I don't know, you can't just, you can't just sit down and relax. That's not what life is for. That's, that, that happens later in other ways. This, this life is for doing and exhausting yourself um, until the end. And then, you know, maybe you can say, that you did a good job, but it's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I think that that's scary and exhausting for some people, maybe most people. But when you, I think when you, when you tap into the an unlimited source of energy inside yourself, um, when you tap into that energy, you have to use it. It's your duty. You're duty bound from then on to to use it. So I just, I want to keep doing what I'm doing and, and but what that looks like, I have no idea. That's my goal. Like I, 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 have, I have no idea, but I know it includes peace. I know it includes meditation. I know it includes transformation and helping other people and birds chirping. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds really nice. <laughs> Okay, so during stage two, when you were explaining um, how your views on life has changed, you mentioned that you were driven by like the question, how can I demystify life? Yeah. So why, why demystify life? Um, okay, that's a really good question. In, in, the theory of yin and yang, uh, right? That's a macrocosmic uh, perspective of the of reality. Yin, uh, yin and yang, uh, balance of forces. Okay. Um, in inside of that are the details, the mysteries. Okay, we know that there's 
right and wrong to a certain degree. We know that there's 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 uh, left and right. Um, we know there's man and woman, you know, masculine, feminine, right? So there's the yin and yang perspective of Zen. And inside of that is, is the beginning. Outside of it is the end. It's, I'm, I'm here, I'm, we're sitting here, and we know that the end is balance. And, and yin and yang, the perfection of balance, okay? And then all people are sitting at that point, wherever they are, all the time. So our, the nature of life is to go from a point of not knowing to a point of knowing. And the, the mystery of life is really the mystery of what do you do next? And we are always in that point all the time. Because once we go from not knowing to knowing, another, another mystery appears and the game continues. And so if it didn't, uh, we, if we stopped and there was no action, we wouldn't be on planet Earth. We, we wouldn't be in this body. We wouldn't have unlimited energy. So when I realized there was mysteries and I had to go solve them, um, I then realized that I was just doing what everyone was doing, uh, except I was going after as many mysteries as I could, whereas most people, they only go after a few at a time. But that's not sufficient uh, for me. I need, I need a certain amount of, of mystery, and I need a certain amount of demystification. So that's uh, basically because we're not omniscient. You know what omniscient means, right? Like omni, all pervading. Yeah. Um, um, omniscient. I think isn't has that to all do powerful with, though? And omnibenevolent is all loving. What was all knowing? Omnipotent. Omnipotent. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I think that was all knowing, or am I getting mixed up? Omnipotent is having unlimited power. Ah, so what you said, omniscient is probably all knowing then. Well. I'm thinking omniscient is the ability to see. Okay, so omniscience is the capacity to know everything. Yeah. Omnipresent is to is to see everything at once. Present anywhere. Uh, present everywhere at the same time. Omnipresence. So these are godlike um, mm -hmm. abilities, and the ability to to see. With, we don't have, right? We don't have omnipresence, omnipotence. We don't have these godlike um, abilities as, as limited um, beings. Of course, in, in Hinduism, our soul is perfect. It has these abilities, but we're not fully one with our soul. So because we're limited, we keep we keep removing mystery and it goes on and on until we become unlimited in, in Hinduism, that's called Vishvagrasa. So, um, in, in, on earth, we attain moksha, which is, uh, just, just, um, liberation from earth, liberation from rebirth in a human body. But then that's not all like life 
goes on and we have to eventually attain Vishvagrasa. Vishvagrasa could be seen as like a singularity, um, like Johnny Depp in that movie where he like entered the computer system with artificial intelligence and then became everything. He could control everything that was computer generated. So that's Vishvagrasa, except every, you, you would contain, you'd be, have the ability to control everything that had a soul because you'd be God. Uh, so Vishvagrasa is the theory of merging soul with God or like uh, water with ocean. Um, that's, that's Hinduism. And that's just like, that's one of the deepest aspects of their layers of, of reality. But the point is, to your question, we're not there yet. <laughs> we're not, we know that much, right? We're not there. So we have to demystify. We have to take out the question. Uh, we have to find the answer. And once you find the answer, then you find another question. And that's, that's, um, that's uh, part of the meaning of life. So the nature of life is to go from a point of nothing, from a point, sorry, from a point of not knowing, not knowing. to a point of knowing. Yeah, and, precisely. And you said that's the meaning of life. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I mean, we, well, yeah, I mean, we, we move, um, we behave, we, we have motivation to act because we need to go from not knowing to knowing. And again, here's the microcosm and macrocosm. The microcosm is the ability to speak. I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to finish this sentence because at the beginning of the sentence, I don't know what the end was. <laughs> so I finished the sentence and I have the answer. Um, I'm thirsty, so I need to get up and go get some water. I go from not knowing or not having I have now have motivation to act and then I go and, and use the forces of the world to quench my thirst. And that's the end. So then the next thing arises, the next question, the next not knowing, and then we continue and continue and continue. Now, as we mature or as we are, have gained the ability to see more, we ask, more difficult questions. It goes from uh, base desire of thirst, clothing, um, sex, and money or food, comfort, base instinctive desire to, um, you know, the, a little bit more out of into the macrocosm, from the micro to the macro. So instead of just me, uh, I can go to my spouse. Okay, are they thirsty? I can ask a question that I don't know and uh, seek to answer it, right? That means doing things for other people. I can go out of my house from a perspective shift and think, is my neighbor thirsty? And then I can go even further and say, you know, for a career, you know, what does my boss need? And then further, the furthest is possibly, what does God want with me? And then in, through 
you know, if we're from an Eastern, you know, I found an Eastern perspective, right? I was asking those questions, right? And just going from a microcosm to a macrocosm very quickly in Hawaii, you know, as a homeless wanderer on the beach, asking, you know, what does God want from me? Um, to answering that question and then seeking to solve other other questions it just it just keeps going because once you know that god wants you to um, realize yourself as god then you help others realize themselves so then you have to start from the beginning except it, it, you don't you don't include yourself this time now it's you know Who's the next person that needs to know that they're thirsty? I've never uh, really said that before. I've, ne I've never articulated uh, things like that. Okay. I know through saying that you'll be able to phrase it better next time as well because now you're you're putting it into your subconscious how did it work i remember you explaining it where when you first go for an idea you're like pulling things out of your like deeper yeah, parts. data has been right data gets collected right so if that's if that came in at one point through my teachers and my guru um you know it, it took it sounds like it took a few years for that to come back out from myself and now next time it will come out faster because you're right yeah you've put it into force right sure yeah. yeah perhaps well one thing i always say is that the debris of insight gets cleared up those channels get cleared up the better we live life so um perhaps the deeper the thought the, the longer it takes to come out the first time right which is everyone's journey oh so one so one train of thought we were going on was that we have this motivation to act um and we go from the mundane i'm thirsty to the profound what does god want in between is our life and um i, I remember one monk you could say it this way one monk who said that you know our lives are designed for uh, self-realization or you know the complete ultimate stage of meditation everything in between is just busy work and that's that's part of the goal i i think that's true for where you know and that's partly why i left the monastery for the monastery um, part of your part of your most of your life is to uh, realize the self in meditation right have this enlightenment um but I realized around year eight, nine, or 10, something like that, that that's only part of the picture because we have to, it, it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, so what? So you know, big deal. The challenge and, and the more enjoyable adventure is to see if you can help other people know. That's the joy. So when someone asks me about you know, they've been studying my work and they've been meditating on my courses. Like last night, you know, a good friend of mine said, 
you know, can you help me with this advanced stage of meditation, this course that you've taught? And uh, everything is in Zen Mind Academy. And he's, he's on like the, fat, like the last uh, stages. Uh, you know, that's uh, an, an, uh, a beautiful thing to start teaching when, when a student is ready. When a student finally is ready to learn advanced meditation, that's where the yogi kind of excels at. I think that's why I got disenchanted with my work in 2015, working with young men, because I got tired of answering the same questions. So I had to take a few years off. And, and uh, so I've got, a, I've got a little bit of a different approach now when it comes to uh, helping young people. Uh, and it's not just their singular issue, because if you just worry about the issue of one person, you're never going to get out of that issue because every person has it. The point is to teach one person how to, how to expand their consciousness. And then you start, you start realizing that everyone needs to learn how to expand their consciousness. What were the most common questions from that group? Well, how do I, how do I get disciplined? How do I get disciplined? It's the number one question for most people. And that's, you know, sometimes I, if I'm hired to teach uh, a group of people, I'll immediately start talking about why that's rubbish. Because it's not that we get more discipline. We don't, we don't get anything. We just lose other things around us. And, and we realize that we are disciplined. The, the, the motivation to act is discipline. Right, the the discipline arises from nothing within us because of something. Something is out there, so it's discipline that doesn't know that needs to know. It's discipline that gets thirsty and needs water. It's discipline that that wants to know about everything. That's 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 not you know it's not it's not the proper word perhaps because it's also energy it's also force it's also willpower it's also you know it's part of what the energy is made the the world is made up of so discipline is like just probably a, a poor example of saying you are made up of the very question and the answer and you're just becoming more of yourself. It comes down to uh, abstract versus concrete, right? So all of this is very abstract. To put it concretely, we create a word called discipline that says, look, if you get more discipline, you can do more stuff. But really, you need to frame it as in you get more interest, and then you can do more stuff because you can do more interesting things. No one wants to do that, which they're not interested in. So we have to figure out how to make that glass of water as interesting as possible. Or fitness, or diet, or, you know, self-esteem. All of it, it needs to be our interest. And when we focus on something, we accomplish it because that's what we're designed to do. We're not designed to do otherwise. Um, I want, I guess, your perspective on um, 
do you think it's overgeneralizing to say the meaning of life is to experience life? Because that was the conclusion I had come to. And yeah, I wonder what your input on that is. Because you narrowed it down to the nature of life is to go from a point of no of not knowing to a point of knowing. But I think that would be included in experiencing life. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I think every philosopher and sage and mystic and writer who knows a thing about anything would agree with you. Um, that's what I was mentioning, I think, about the second stage of realizing that life is a miracle. Um, yeah, you're, you're inside of that which you needed to know. You're, you've done it, you know, you're a part of it. You're, in, you're, you're born, you're, you're alive, you're conscious. Now you just need to know that. Um, and that you are, and this is the classic yogic uh, saying, you are the thing that you were searching for. And that's why I think I wrote somewhere, you know, why, you know, when I get the question of, of why, why, why do we embark on this path? Why do we, why do we care about ourselves enough? And it's like, because you exist. That's, that's it. That's the only reason you need. Life, life is uh, the thing to be experienced, and when you can, when you can be mindful, then you start adding Zen to life. And when you're paying attention, when you're observing, you begin the stages of advanced meditation. The, the the previous stages are just kind of like life is happening to you, and then observation is the first step of the path. Being aware, oh. I'm the, I'm observation, like I'm the camera. I'm supposed to be aware fully 100% of the time and not let life happen to me. I'm living life, I'm controlling my life. And then we have these initial stages of stepping onto the path, walking the path or the way or the journey. And then that external motivation, oh, I can do things, I can answer questions. I can get water, I can quench my thirst, that becomes an internal question. We internalize our observation and we start to say, okay, if life is outside, what is inside? And then we have to sit long enough and observe consciousness and then the magical process of self-realization begins or evolves. It already began on the outside. So we turn inward, begin to become aware of our breathing, our heartbeat, our circulation, like the very thing that makes up the camera. And then we, we realize through yogic teaching and, and, pra and te practicing techniques that we can raise our consciousness inside of ourselves, through the body, through the head, and then into other more subtle realms of consciousness. So we go from looking out to looking in to looking up and then seeing everything for what it is. And that's like the, the overview 
the framework of you know the yogic journey which i've also never articulated before quite like that today is just a day for articulation of things we've never articulated i'm glad that i'm getting that out of you if that's well, that, yeah. That's one of the things that you do in that second stage when you when you go from the first stage to the second stage you um you start um, answering questions in your inside yourself and you don't tell anyone and so if you do that for a long period of time you know eventually you it, it overflows it it evolutes it comes out of you like bubbling water and um These things that you found out a long time ago are easily expressible now. And then that's the third stage. Like you express, you, you, you teach. Now some people like, um, some people don't get to that third stage. They just want to live a quiet life. They know what they know and then they're okay. And that's beautiful. That's where they're at. I think, I think if you can, you should probably, should probably lend a helping hand because there's too many people who just know and just you know kind of live a quiet life but you can that, that's the freedom of consciousness you can do that you can do whatever you want you cannot know a lot of people don't know they don't seek they don't answer questions um and then that's that's who we call students and clients that they're on they're just beginning to ask they're just beginning to know and then advanced students and clients are people who are beginning to express themselves. So perhaps this third stage is, you know, I'm two years in or whatever, four years in. And, uh, you know, a book came out of it, which is all great and everything. But, um, you know, then the nonprofit is another part of it. So I'm just, I'm just learning how to live in the world and afford it and pay the bills while also doing what I love. And uh, I think that's what a lot of people get stuck on is paying the bills. But uh, if you love what you love enough, it'll, you'll figure it out and you'll be able to do it. One of my pieces of advice for people is to never let your passions fall by the wayside for the for sake of career. You know, continue your passions. Even if your career just pays the bills, continue your passions whenever you can. So going back to when we discussed about uh, the godlike qualities of omnipresence, omnipotence, omniscience, um, you said something along, along the lines of we yeah, we can't achieve like being all-knowing or all-powerful. I think you said all-present as well, that we can't achieve that, right? We as, as ego cannot. No, ego is the limiting okay. factor to soul. So we have to become soul and then to disregard ego. Would that be the same for omnibenevolence? So being all-good and all-loving? Do you think that's possible to achieve? To achieve, or do you think ego will also not allow you to? Well, yeah, uh, that's easy. You that's, think that's being all loving is easy. That's the first part. 
unseen. All loving is called Satchitananda in Hinduism, in Sanskrit. Satchitananda, those are broken up into three syllables, uh, meaning your consciousness is, is bliss. That's a natural state of your consciousness. So um, uh, a lot of people get there by taking ecstasy, right? But, what, but you can actually achieve an ecstatic uh, state of mind just through meditation. That's, that's one of the uh, first stages of um, samadhi. Samadhi is a deep internalized state of meditation. There's two of them specifically, um, Satchitananda or Sabi Kalpa Samadhi, and then there's Nirvikalpa Samadhi, or um, you know, uh, consciousness without form. So there's form, right? Here's the macrocosm, microcosm. There's form, and then there's formless. So we can experience omni love uh, with. We do that with form because love is a, is attributable to to a form formless there's no love there's no attributes there's nothing so that's where you get into realms that you really can't speak about because once you speak about it it's not it's got form so it's formless the the form which you asked about um, is, is is not that difficult to attain and a lot of people attain it um whether through chemical means of trans consciousness transformation or uh, natural means, which is through, uh, so it's sometimes through meditation. Other times it's through uh, nervous breakdown. Um, sometimes it's through a death of the ego experience, um, uh, seeing some, having a near death experience or getting shocked somehow you get taken out of the conscious mind and you get blasted into the super conscious area of the mind. Is it something, sorry, is it something that you can maintain like throughout like 24 seven? I don't know how else. Yeah, I was just going to say when you do it through meditation or when you learn to do it through meditation, you can then repeat it. And that's why meditation is so beneficial. It, it, it gives you the ability to repeat conscious, transformation consciousness transformation like a highway right a map is so critical because it allows you to repeat destinations uh, you know how to get there and you know how to get back but roads are so important because you can travel meditation is simply the means of travel through consciousness so through meditation you can repeat omni love or or some you know samadhi uh, sarvikalpa samadhi or Satchitananda, yes, you can repeat it, and then it can be a part of your uh, everyday consciousness. Now, I don't think that that's easy to do. I'm not saying that that part is easy. It's always, you know, it's always possible to touch into a higher state of consciousness. I don't think many people doubt that. Uh, and you see it all over the place, people becoming teachers, people uh, trying to express their love for humankind through yoga retreats and all this kind of stuff. There's no shortage of people who are experiencing inner states of mind. However, can the, the question is, can they bring another person to it? And do they know how to actually repeat it themselves? And uh, are they are they genuine? That's the real question. Um, so uh, you look no further than to the female yogini and saint 
Tananda Maima, Amritananda Maima. She is known to have this loving, blissful vibe and, and perspective of the world uh, to the point where she doesn't necessarily eat, right? She doesn't, she, she lost that desire when she was very young. So people feed her so that she stays alive. Um, is that useful? Sure. Is it a good idea if everyone was doing it? No, we wouldn't get anything done. Now, can we all uplift our consciousness to a degree where we don't kill anyone? Yes. Is that a good idea? Yes. Is that going to happen? Yes. That's why Hindus follow the four stages in a timeline, in a vast galactic timeline called the Yugas. The Yugas... Um, to know four stages of, uh, like we're talking about the stages of my life and the stages of life. We have stages of galactic life, right? Uh, and we can watch that now with science, right? We can see the beginning, you know, something is formed over here. Another thing is exploding over here because it's the end of its life. So um, in terms of the universe, Hindus or ancient Eastern astrology and astronomy, have mapped out what that timeline looks like and it's four stages called yugas and the sat yuga is where consciousness is uplifted to the point where no one kills anyone there's no human on human death and or murder and uh human to human and there's no you know there's just enlightened beings it becomes the norm and so in terms of that timeline we're in the stage before that which is the Kali Yuga. So from Kali Yuga to Sat Yuga, some people believe that we're in the beginning stages of the Sat Yuga. You know, we're in the beginning stages of um, an, an, a, a, a global uh, uplifted consciousness into this omni feeling as you're talking about. You know, these are, these are, these are part of the mystery, right? This is part of the not knowing to knowing. So you can, that's the challenge with not knowing. And it's, it's like, where do I go from here? Where do I, and that's the motivation to act. Do I go to the sink for water? Or do I go to the fridge? Cause it's got this little water thing that comes out of the front of it. I don't even have to open the fridge. Um, or do I open up a bottle of water? mysteries of life is now that I know I, I need to find out where do I find out where, what do I find out and, and how do I get there so it has to come from personal interest and personal interest becomes your own barometer or measuring or um, demystification right if you will so you have to let your interest guide you and if your interest is in eastern metaphysics then you'll you'll fall down that path and, and start learning everything that comes with that. But maybe your interest is Judeo-Christian knowledge, and that's wonderful, and you go down that path. I ended up down Eastern metaphysics because I looked up the, the, the beginnings of yoga and the beginnings of meditation. I believed that to be the highest attainment. So I'm naturally going to look for the best of the best, the oldest of the oldest, who came before who was the first to teach what and the first people to teach consciousness uh, advancement was Eastern uh, metaphysical uh, 
denominations. So you have to go find Hinduism and then Sanatana Dharma and the initial finding findings of ancient civilization are this, this uh, you know, uh, Hindu in this Hindu origins. That's really the origins that we know. So did you? Did, I'm just thinking of it to ask, I don't know, will it be too much explaining for when you said that the world, that everyone in the world can achieve? I can't remember how you phrased that. But what can achieve global, global lifted consciousness? Yeah, so how do you think that would happen? I would think that would happen. Um, I can tell you how I was taught that that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because our Hindu scriptures explain it. Um, basically, people uh, are, are born. Uh, so, like, you know how people are born now and you have social media? Like, it's natural. Like, you get a Facebook account or you get a Snapchat or, you know what I mean? You, you get a phone. You, you, you grow into technology because technology is there. In, a, in, a, in an advanced satyuga, so to speak, um, you would be born, and then your parents would teach you about yoga, meditation, um, self-realization, uh, maybe becoming a monk, uh, or you know, for sure, becoming a monk after you're a certain age, and then coming back and choosing if you want to come back or not um, to society. Uh, that would not just be the the instance of that family, that would be everyone. Like that would be everyone. A child would be born into a world of a routine uh, where meditation is the norm. Meditation is the routine. Um, you know, higher consciousness is, is the, the thing to do. Much like technology advancement is ubiquitous today. And, and, and wonderful um, in the Satyuga, in those later stages of, of evolution for the for the world for humanity, um, you would like technology would be on the side. We would have gone so far into technology; it would be normal to maybe visit other planets. You know, that's that wouldn't be unusual. So, as we, you know, let's say Elon Musk or his his successor or his successor's successor comes up with uh, uh, galactic ride sharing. You know, if you need to hop up to Mars real quick and you get into a SN8 tank and then fly up, fly back, whatever, in a few hours, or then teleport or, you know, like, few, like the futuristic means of travel and galactic exploration is here and now. If we're in that stage, you can imagine how your perspective is the macrocosmic. Like, it's not just what I'm doing and what my neighbor doing. It's like, well, what's another planet feel about this? Like, we just we just legalized um, crossing over into Galaxy Five Hundred One Ten Five. You know, is it legal to go over there with a dog? You know what I mean? Like, that's you can imagine how global. Uh, uh, galactic exploration naturally will lead to consciousness uh, expansion. 
Of course, right? You're naturally thinking about things outside yourself, outside your neighborhood, outside your planet. So the more we think greater and, and, and universally and outside of our planet, outside of our small perspectives, the more we, the more we expand our perspective, it's just natural to then ask, well, who started all this? What is out there? And then who am I? And, and then all of a sudden, it becomes more natural to ask these questions and, and to devote a portion of your time and life um, to answering these questions. So maybe as you as the society glows into thinking um, interplanetary, maybe we have to take people through consciousness classes. You know, in order to go to another planet, we have to make sure that you're not a criminal. Uh, in order to go into space and have the pr privilege of, of going to this other other realm, you know, have to have a perfect record or you can't like have negative thoughts and you can't be on a ship with people and create crime like there's no crime in this sector there's no murder there's you know so you know earth would naturally maybe evolve to another you know consciousness would evolve somewhere else and then if you're born there there was never murder here you know that's not something we do that's not in our consciousness so as 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 babies come into this world here wherever that is it's like you 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 outsource consciousness you uplift just by default you um you know the basics of of discrimination and uh you know hate and things like that they're like they're never a factor it's another consciousness it's another another time it's another another planet so i see that as like the eventual timeline So I think some some people today say that racism is going to be uh, naturally uh, birthed out, generationally disappeared, or generationally um, uh, reduced to the point where it doesn't exist anymore. Um, and we're seeing that now. I think pure racism is extremely rare. So you can imagine if you were you know, the next forms of discrimination will be other creatures, other planetary, you know, other planetary creatures. So then that has to be generationally born out and, and, and thrown away so that you can live harmoniously with other creatures and other life forms, you know. So as, as our consciousness expands, everything else in, in the details of life have to expand with it. And then we have, you know, that's how we have futuristic movies and people are thinking that way, right? Um, so imagine that happening in, in life, right? Imagine that being the future and, and it is. It, there's no question about it in my mind. And to end off, uh, do you have time for one more question or do you need to be somewhere? It's we're, we're enjoying our Saturday morning with oh. coffee and blueberry muffins. Um, so through your 12 years in the monastery, 
What did you spend the most time on learning or even mastering? I want to say the ability to to shift your perspective, the ability to manipulate consciousness. So that was every day. That was every morning. That was the monk shoom meditation. The ability to manipulate your own consciousness and to become one with it. I, I, hands down, that was top priority. And then I have to say that that naturally unfolded to the rest of the day. And, and, and every day for the 12 years, I, I studied the art harmoniously thinking and living with other people. It's got to be up there. Like, number one, consciousness. Number two, what perceives consciousness, right? Going from that macrocosmic perspective to the next microcosm, right? The next level inward, the microcosm. It has to be that which perceives consciousness. So if I study consciousness and then I open my eyes, then my next study is human interaction. The best form of human interaction is harmonious. So it has to be harmonious in human interaction because that's the Hindu philosophy. And if you believe in karma, your goal is to make less karma, like less fluctuations in the matrix, so to speak, to use matrix language. It's so easy to use that language because that movie is so spot on with the way things work in my mind. Um, so to make less glitches, less ripples in the lake, cell waters, and that's a, a mystical kind of cliche. Why do why make what? less why make less ripples like why oh, less so that you can attain a perfect state of consciousness so that you can attain moksha the more karma in, in hinduism the more karma you make the, the the more likelihood you know statistically speaking that you have to be reborn and learn another lesson and it's like oh if I can, you know, you become a monk because you say to yourself, if I can just perfect consciousness, then I don't have to keep getting things wrong, both in this life and in the next. So it's a big game. So you want to be the best player. To be the best player in life, you have to be um, a team player. You have to help other people. You have to make sure that you're, the people that are around you are good too. It's like any first-person shooter, right? If you're on a team, you know, you've got to make sure that you've got the sniper is in sync with the medic, is in sync with the, the you know, guy on the ground, is in sync with the guy in the air, is in sync with your water power and fleet. Everyone has to be in sync and work well together, both in a militaristic perspective, which is why I studied military science, and in a consciousness level for individual, on an individual level. So it's both, right? Everything is this macrocosm, macro, microcosm, yin and yang thing. It just depends on what you're talking about, 
where you're pointing your lens. So I, I studied consciousness as a thing, as a force, and then how that force interacts with the world. It's only natural, it seems, that I've come out of that 12-year experience with, with potential answers to, for other people in, their, in, the, in the smaller details of their life where they can't get along with their spouse or they can't get along with their parents or they can't get along with their boss, right? It all relates to human interaction. If we perfect human interaction, we have to come from a point of perfection. Ourselves have to be taken care of. So that's, okay, so you could say, in boiling all that down, that I studied, that's why I studied self-mastery. And to study consciousness is to study self-mastery. Because consciousness is self. Self is consciousness. So the number one thing, self-mastery. That's what I went in for. And my guru told me as I left, he's like, hey, you came in to do that. You did. It's only natural that you leave now. Uh, you know, the point of being a monk is to devote your life to um, a, a religious body, an ecclesiastical body, and serve their devotees. I didn't want to do that anymore. I just came in, I, I realized 12 years, 10 years later, that I had, I did not come in for that. I came in for self-mastery and I got it. So I left. And that's exactly what my guru knew the whole time. That's why he was the guru. <laughs> he was way smarter than everyone else. <laughs> and uh, I'm so fortunate I still talk to him today. I talked to him yesterday. He said, uh, "I'm on. If he clicks, if he clicks the wrong button in his email, it automatically goes to me <laughs> because it's an autocorrect on his keyboard. Uh, I'm, an, I'm a, I'm a choice that naturally comes up in his email if he types in, if he doesn't type in what he wanted to type in. So I'll take it. <laughs> Great. I think a good place to end off then." Thank you too, Raj. Yeah, until next time. Have a great weekend. You too.